0: You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing, creator and host, Ken Vellante, editor and producer, Peter Bauer.
1: This is Ken Vellante with Something Rather Than Nothing, and uh, got a special guest to this episode, Liz Medina, uh, who is the head of the Vermont AFL-CIO. And I just wanted to welcome you, Liz, to uh, to the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast.
0: I'm glad to be here. Thank you.
1: Yeah. And... Um Uh, I was, I I came in contact with, um, you know, the work you do on behalf of working people. Uh, We share a common uh, union in our background of the United Auto Workers uh, 2322 um, that connects Liz and I at different times uh, belonging to the same local union. Prior to getting into the you know union stuff and podcast and and all that type of thing, I wanted to ask you, Liz: When you were born, were you an artist?
0: Wow, what a provocative question! And uh, for the listeners who cannot see, I was uh, pumping my fist when mentioning UAW. It's a great union, uh, very important union. Proud to be a part of it. Uh, wonderful, exciting, radical history in that union too for another time, but as far as being born an artist, oh gosh, I'm of the philosophy that everyone is born an artist in so far as we all strive to find a creative expression for uh, meaning making in the world and trying to understand the world. And I think that's a natural inclination for human beings and I think the artist gets Uh, sucked out of us in so many ways, unfortunately, through uh, just being run through the complex uh, ideological and material apparatus of uh, capitalism and its attendant forms of oppression that we live under. uh, It's an alienating experience. Alienation is one of the defining features of living in a capitalist society and a big part of my artwork as well. And I think that is a force that unfortunately robs many of us of the artists within each of us.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and, and thank you for your comments. I it's It's been absolutely um, a critical piece of the show as I've explored art and philosophy and getting into fundamental questions about how you develop an artist or you don't develop as an artist, but also um, the marketplace for artists, right? Um, you know, what does it, what is it like, or what does it mean uh, to be an artist in you know the United States, twenty twenty one? And uh, what I find is, you know, when it comes to political economy, it's front and center of how people develop and in, in what their art is able to do. And I think in our discussion, Liz, um, that's going to come up because we're talking about working people. We're going to be talking about the art that you create, and uh, how do you do it in those conditions? Um, I wanted to ask you a, a major question just to, to frame the, the discussion uh, about art. I wanted I wanted to ask you another tough one right off the bat: is what is art?
0: Whew! Yes. Uh... And I, you know, do not claim whatsoever to be defining art uh, in any kind of absolute sense. And I welcome everyone's uh, responses and challenges to my definition of art. I think to, you know, really give a dry definition to start with and unpack it, Uh, art is a, Collection of a, a certain collection of uh, world making or, or or craft making processes that have traditions and go through different iterations throughout history and take different forms. So what does that mean? That means you know the practice of painting uh, that has been around since you know pretty much forever. You know we all seen the cave uh, paintings and um, sculpture. That's also very ancient. And of course there are new mediums that come into the loop, but they can usually be uh, at least discussed in relation to somewhat, even if it seems very far and abstract, to visual culture or our broader uh, traditions of of art making as we understand it. And so there's, uh, but these practices have served this kind of different, uh, you know, craft making that rises to a, a higher level of, of, of personal expression, of, of cultural expression, of a, a community's self-expression. Uh, you know, they uh, have a very different meaning, I think, in, in this day and age. Um, they, they I, I think it's art to today, as most people would understand it, you know, really is kind of of course, a reflection of the type of um, society we have, which is capitalistic. So, it, what is that? It's a, it's, it's market. It's, uh, it's about the individual and that kind of expression. And, and that, that's not to say that isn't art. But uh, I think art, more broadly, is just you know the continuation of certain, uh, the iterations of certain traditions. And so. Um, and with, that's, you know, broadly speaking what it is, I, there, you know, you can uh, add even more broader philosophical interpretations about meaning making and um, expression, but I think it is a, you know, to give a dry definition, I think that's what art is. And I, I think there's something to be rescued too about art and on other um, periods of time and in other cultures that could be really restorative and healing to communities today because like I said, it, is, um, it has a particular uh, un- in meaning under our society that I think is very narrow and excludes vast a number of people and, and limits what art can be. Uh, so I think it's you know, ever changing and fluid, but I think it's been recognized as you know, certain practices and traditions for sure.
1: Yeah, I wanted to, to to explore and and thank you thank you for that. I wanted to explore um, maybe a complicated idea. In you know, uh, we've had a little brief discussion around you know working class art and how art is defined. I think when you say art uh, to most people, what pops up is maybe a bourgeois notion of like of a painting in a place or a sculpture. When when you say art to people, it tends to spark uh, elite or high art as, as, as being art. And, you know, I, I, I think the expression, you know, working class art, you know, depicts that, you know, this comes from working people and it might have a different nature and a different, um, uh, type of, um, type of expression. Um, what I wanted to ask to, to, to ask you, Liz, is, how difficult do you think it is (laughs) to, um create and popularize let's say working class or labor art when most people think about like uh work in 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 things like that to be something to move away from when you when you're away you know when you're done with it right so the idea of nine to five get home have your meal and then put on tv or art or do something to watch and kind of not go back into work um so what it, what what do you think as far as in our culture? Like where do we get the vibrancy from working class stories in popularized and let people know they're enjoying art and it's totally okay? What do you think?
0: Uh, I think that's a great question to follow on. And I think it actually adds a, a bit, uh, provokes something I wanted to say in the first question a bit. And that is, you know, there is a difference between, in my mind at least, art and entertainment. And I think, you know, there's a lot of gray areas and it's not a hard line, but I I believe like, probably Adorno, as much as I have many criticisms of him, and he, he, I think he believed that art should be challenging and, I mean, in some ways interrogate the audience and the society at large and you know there's uh that's i think the distinguishing feature and and whereas entertainment is um just there to give us the sensations and escapism perhaps that we need in this moment which is absolutely legitimate too because working that nine-to-five job or any job for that matter uh is very exhausting and sometimes you just need to do that and uh, experience that, um, but yeah. So you know, working class art. This gets to the question of, again, the way our society is structured, and just understanding that in very broad terms, and I'm not trying to be a, a vulgar Marxist or anything, but just thinking about who gets to be an artist today. And I think that question will lead many people to find that most people who come from a very broadly defined, you know, working class background who have to, you know, no matter what, work full time or beyond um, to make it and don't have funds from family and friends to uh, support them while they build up an be- uh, art career in a field of art, which is very, very, very competitive. And uh, so, you know, it excludes a lot of people by that the very nature that art um, is competitive, doesn't pay well, um, is undervalued in our society. And that exclusion, of course, uh, excludes working class people from all backgrounds, uh, especially women and people of color, indigenous people, people that have been historically marginalized. And, you know, there is some, uh, I think, attempt to uh, you know, ameliorates that fact uh, within the art world, but it's the art world that, from my mind, still is very much um, missing the discussion of class. And um, I, I have to say, you know, the what working class art can be—that's a really important and provocative uh, question. Or what is that, you know, um, for our, for people who want to use art as a means to, uh, you know, mobilize social movements, build. Um, a new world and i think you know gosh i think working class art at the end of the day is not so much about um you know just attempting to show working class life um or or pop culture but also being made by working class people as well Uh, you know allowing them to experience um uh creation and, and making something in an unalienated way where they, you know, aren't doing it, yeah. you know, for their employer, for money per se, but they are just uh, trying to understand and express their lives. And, um, you know, that's why I think working people is, uh, I don't know if they would call it art. I find it, um, there's an art to interviews as well, uh, a documentary form of art. Um, and I find that to be very powerful and, and I find, you know, if they any opportunity to bring the arts and in, into the working class communities to be really potent as well.
1: Yeah, thank you, thank you, Liz. I um, and and I know there's a lot there. I mean, cause cause it, yeah, I've um, I think it's useful to identify you know working class art and what it is. But you, I think you can even get into like, you know, what the materials are, how it appears, what's the method of distribution how it's shared and so it's, 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 uh, but in order, in order to continue to piece about working class art as directly applied to your work as an artist. And, um, you have a podcast called on mass and, um, I've listened to it. I really enjoy it. And, uh, storytelling. And, um, I, I listened, uh, as well to, um, uh, I believe it's John Henry. Um, F, F, I love that legend. Um, uh, so you do that and you and you create that. Can you help the listeners understand what you're doing uh, you know capturing those stories, presented them in a the podcast format, and how that how that ends up being an expression of yours as an artist
0: yeah i it's a uh, it was quite a transition for me because my background is in visual art, and I had been trying to convey concepts and little fragments of stories through visual art for some time and finding myself frustrated in that I can't get the detailed richness of a, you know, more in-depth story in the a single image or anything of that nature. And I, I kind of let um, theory get to my head too. I, I read probably too much Walter Benjamin and, um, you know, was uh, thinking about the ways in which art is, uh, especially you know, painting and other uh, single image visual culture, is appropriated to mean different things uh, once you try to gain acceptance in the the official uh, professional art world, which we could of course talk more about. But I, I was very, I'm very protective over, I think perhaps to a fault about you know what stories I want to say, what they mean, and it's precisely those words. And so I thought, you know, maybe I just need to go to history. It doesn't get more concrete than, uh, you know, the actual details of people's lives and, and history. And of course, you know, there's subjectivity there too. But um, so I decided you know, uh, to look into history right in my own backyard uh, in very Vermont. And I had been getting more involved in the labor movement here and it seemed like a nice bridge between my interest in movement building and art making. And I found you know, some wonderful archives from the uh, Federal Writers Project, which was under the WPA in the New Deal in the 30s. And I just was taken away by the richness and detail and multi-dimensional characteristics of the stories I encountered from Barry and their granite workers in the early 20th century when that project was done. And, uh, I, you know, I think it's so easy for us to, um, you know, think that, you know, I don't know, that we're alone, I guess, in our struggles. You know, I think that's the tendency and the pressure is to just isolate and light us and individualize our experiences and not only just you know on the individual level but in relation to time and place as well and all the rich context around us and I thought well wouldn't it be incredible to you know continue this archive of oral histories of of workers in Barry you know and by you know, collecting oral histories today and, you know, seeing the comparison between now and then, and then on top of that, you know, it, it, having, a, you know, another person perform that and relate to it even further, and, you know, just try to see out, like, well, what what issues are still, you know, pertinent and and really, you know, present with us today as workers in this community and Vermont more broadly, and, you know, what are some of the differences? and you know how can we learn from the past and what do we need to do differently and I I think um, you know putting it through a class context of working people is such a powerful unifier in being able to bring stories together bring experience together while also honoring difference right because it's a huge group of people and you know we're not all experiencing things the same way so I, I thought Let's do an oral history project. Let's have people perform them and it's have it be a whole season. So you're getting a lot of different perspectives between the past and the present. And we're thinking together about what it is to be working class now and then and what do we you know, where is our agency and what do we want to do as a class?
1: Yeah. Um, and I pre I, I, I think it's a I think it's a hell of a podcast and 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 I, and I really enjoy I really enjoy those stories. I have a propensity to you know, um, really like the stories, like not the, I mean, people view it a lot of times as, as mundane, but there's such, I think that's like kind of like embedded in our head. When we think about like the daily experience of somebody working and their struggles, it's just that we haven't elevated that. And, and I appreciate that you elevate it. And so you can listen to it. And guess what? A lot of people are drawn into it when they listen to those stories, like, wow. And um, in the sense of place too, in particular about Vermont, which I see as a unique you know, place with a unique history um, without the, like, strong urban centers and rural aspects. And uh, so uh, I guess I'm saying I love the Vermont. <laughs> <You> know, <when laughs> me <it's>, too, me <laughs> too. <laughs> uh, when it's there. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit, Liz, and uh, I just uh, wonder if I could um, uh, chat with you about, um, in, in, in general, like, you, you, you work in a very important, a role you are um, the the head of the AFL CIO in, in in Vermont, and for listeners who aren't familiar with the structure of labor, it's a, con, a confederation. You can probably scrap better, I can, but <laughs> American Federation of Labor and the Congress of Industrial Organizations, which combined, um, to the chagrin of some historically, <laughs> um, post World War II, and and things were going on there. So. It's a labor federation, and of course, when we're talking about workers, we're talking about a huge variety of workers. Um, and you're an activist, and so can you just give us a little peek of what it's like um, in? You no, know, just in your role in 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 trying to represent all worker voices, and uh, in, and in just give us a little bit of that.
0: I'm happy to. Uh, it's it's so much. Um... There's so much involved in it that I, I don't know if I can do it full justice, but I will say that you, know, first of all, this is, the, this is where my heart and my, everything is in this work. And I, um, I really believe that the change that we all want to see in terms of climate change, racial oppression, inequality really hinges just as it has in the past, but you know it'll look different. Um, on the on the working class uh, and um, its particular position in society to make change because we do make society in fact and we forget that. So I I would say you know the being in this position though is a huge challenge and I am challenged every day. I think democracy is hard. I think people don't maybe at least me I'm speaking for myself really. Uh, you know when we, a lot of us just want to, you know, do what we want to do, especially artists, right? You know, a lot of artists, uh, unless you're in a a dance troupe or theater or something where it's more collaborative, it's really about individual control and decision-making over everything. And you don't get that in an organization. It's not about you. It's about the organization. And you may, at times, have very strong opinions that go against, the grain of the majority. And you have to sit with that and accept the process that is unfolding because democracy is important even if it doesn't always get you uh, what you want 100% of the time. It's important because there is a fundamental element of human dignity in the practice of democracy that becomes enlivened, which is our agency to make decisions in the world about how we live together as individuals and collectively. And so many of us are unfortunately alienated from that through our very broken uh, pseudo democracy we have in the United States and um, in, in our workplaces too. Our workplaces are not democratically structured uh, so they, they get to be that way a little bit more when a union's there because then the workers have a seat at the table. But without a union, it's just the boss and management, and that's it, or the shareholders, really, at the end of the day. And so, you know, it's empowering and exciting and also very, very hard. And you have to have a lot of conversations every day uh, with everyone to make them, um, not make them, to to welcome them into that process. And um, to make them feel comfortable and valued in that process is what I was really looking for. Because we will all disagree at some point, and we all have, um, our lives are tied up in this, and the project of of what we're doing. We are fighting for people's lives. And so it's, you know, there's a big emotional element. So most, you know, my work is just really, the simplest way to describe it is talking to people all the time Trying to listen and trying to hold this fragile thing of a democratic labor movement together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we're speaking with uh, Liz Medina, head of the uh, Vermont AFL CIO, um, artist, uh, activist, uh, podcast, uh, producer of the podcast on mass and with the uh, creative. Working types. I'm sure there's another six to six hundred items <laughs> in there, and there is in there as well. So you talked about art and uh, your ideas uh, around it. Um, I want to ask this a specific question of arts, and I know you've gotten into these elements, but um, just specifically addressing, what do you think that the proper role of art in society is right now today?
0: Oh gosh, certainly not for me to say. Uh, I think you know that has to be democratically discussed, right? Um, going back to that, but I, I, I think um, where what I guess about you know for me, I think of that as where would I what what art do I want to see, or where what what uh, would be the most ideal fulfillment of art in this moment, and I think that would be just letting people be able to make art and and having and that that requires so many things so it requires more free time and right now we live in a situation where people are working more than the 40 hours that the labor movement has fought so hard for it's very uh, you know the frito-lay victory was was a bittersweet one at least um from my perspective i'm sure, maybe from the workers, too, that, you know, they, they won a one day off a week. Uh, you know, they deserve the full weekend. That's, that's our legacy, and, and that is something that's necessary. And when workers were fighting for the eight-hour day in the late 19th century, the, that was a huge part of it. The argument was we want time for intellectual, cultural, artistic expression. We want to, we don't want to be just automatons working, living hand to mouth. We are human beings. We're not here to just survive. We want to thrive and find and discover all the potentialities that lie inside of us. And, and being the artist, we are born with that. You know, I don't see any kid who doesn't pick up a crane or an instrument or something, you know, it's in us. And so I want to see Uh, a world that supports people having the time for that having the material access for that um you know i want um you know organizations to also if they have any ability whatsoever to have the arts be part of their movement making because that's something really exciting for people and makes them feel like it's not just work all the time or or extra work you know that it, it inspires and beautifies um the uh incredible values and change we're trying to seek um, which are you know beautiful in themselves actually oftentimes beautiful ideas of, of freedom and democracy and justice and so I think uh, I want time for that I want to see it in the movement and uh, but I don't think we'll f- we'll be able to see a fully ideal uh, proletarian art until we actually overcome capitalism and move towards a socialist or communist uh, society democratically such of course um whichever term you want we can have a debate about that but
1: uh and well,
0: yeah and you yeah you're
1: talking about i mean not, not not to interrupt but you're talking about the fundamental conditions which you're able to create you're able to create under and that's been a yes. theme of what you've been saying yes um and so that's the societal element. That's the political and societal element. I think there are romantic notions in the you know in the critique. If you look at Karl Marx, a lot of people don't realize that the fundamental, the fundamental piece, at least for me, is romantic. It's hopeful. It's positive. And it has to do with the fact that why is it that large masses of people have to sell their labor in order to, to have a go of it and you could see how art's going to be sacrificed you know right off the bat right because i can only sell my hands and my mind and but you don't want it to be artsy but you know it's so um i'm sorry to interrupt there but i i mean i keep no. i hear what you're saying as far as like how you end up producing it to begin with and how it gets out there
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I was going on and on. So please interrupt me anytime. And uh, I don't even know if I was really answering your question. So please cut in.
1: (laughs) It's a conversation. It's a (laughs) conversation. (laughs) I mean, the name of the show is some why is there something rather than nothing completely impossible question. So all the questions tend to be rather impossible. And that's I don't know, that's why that's why. yeah.
0: I'll say, I'll name some artists that I really like, really respect right now, some artists uh, that I think are, you know, the kind of art we made, you know, outside of the movement, art is its own thing. A lot of unsung heroes and that, and, you know, they don't get the acclaim and nobody made, most people will recognize their names. They're people in the community and everyone's community. But um, there's a, you know, yet going back to art that is critical. Uh, Alan Sekula is... Uh, was a big in, is an is a big influence. Um, unfortunately, he passed away some time ago. But he uh, has a he, he has a very clever way of talking about uh, of showing and uh, explaining a political economy that's easy for everyone to understand. Uh, he had you know he has a lot of photo and text exhibitions, but uh, he also did a documentary called, I think it's called Fish Story, if I'm remembering correctly, but it explores uh, shipping containers as a conceptual way uh, and, and visual way, you know, following them throughout the world to talk about global capitalism and you know, the social relations of production and consumption and the division of labor more globally. Very big, hard concepts to break down in a simple way. Right. But he is able to do that visually by uh, selecting this motif of the shipping container and the way he also brings in just, you know, very succinct dialogue. But it's, mo- it's mostly, it's oftentimes visual. Um, Fred Lonander is, is a, a great artist who uses his art to talk about uh, factory conditions uh, in Mexico and elsewhere by um, you know cleverly uh, you know jamming <laughs> culture jammings they're you know, sending t-shirts to be printed by a group of workers where it says um, talks about their conditions if I'm remembering correctly things like this um, and so I, I think there's, uh, you know, documentary art has a huge role to play right now um, and is very important, even though I know some people find that dry, but, but also, you, you know, uh, conceptual art that kind of plays within the system to reveal the contradictions is really exciting to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. I um... One of the things that I've done, because you know I work as, as as a labor rep for quite some time, and I'm an artist as well, is is, is the integration. And I had a recent conversation with uh, Ricardo uh, Levens Morales in, um, uh, in 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 Minneapolis, and uh, that 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 show will be you know uh, that shows upcoming. Um, and I, I was profoundly moved by hearing what he was saying about the the. The, the integration of art in the labor movement, the artistic expression of workers coming up through rather than something that comes up, you know, from from above. And his ability to connect uh, concerns about the environment and um, well-being as a human to these, uh, I, I found um, just just really, really moving and incredible. So one of the things I'm trying to do is like, either through documentary and film with my members I'm looking to create like a union zine that takes the individual creativity of my members and be like, Hey, so people can see each other just as more holistic as creators. And when I mentioned that to him, it, it, I forget exactly how he said it, but he was like, yeah, that's going to be right in the center. That's how we come up and that's how we organize. And I'm like, yeah. And so it was such a radical shift in my mind because I was thinking of it in a sense of like, How can I place this in? And that's fine. But it really is organizing and is expression. And I told him the first time I realized this in a nutshell, and I represent teachers and support staff, was in the Wisconsin uprising and revolt in 2011. And I worked for Madison Teachers at the time. I had never seen the creative expression of my members. And I'd never seen the creative expression of my members en masse. Mm. And... Seeing them express their frustration, anger, uh, sarcastic wit, um, uh, uh, jokes, um, and do it artistically on signs and around the Capitol, my mind was blown. I'm like, I never even knew my people. Like I never even knew them, even though I did. so that was such a profound, and I had to reminisce back to that. In, 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 and I believe, as we were talking about, you know, working class and art, you know, as a conceptual piece, there's this vibrancy when we get into into our own, our creators, our collective creators, our, our members, and our uh, siblings in the movement. That's where the fuel is, it seems to me, and he handed that over. Is that where the fuel is, Liz?
0: Oh, absolutely, I, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. And, you know, I think the more ways we can uh, give creative outlets to to members and to uh, movement makers and movers, uh, you know, the better. Uh, and hey, I, zines are, you know, to go back to what working class art is, medium is kind of important too, right, uh, because it has to be something accessible in terms of like you can't cost too much to produce you don't have you don't have you, you can't have a lot of uh, you know obstacles to learning how to necessarily do it either um and you know what is better than a cardboard sign or some pieces of paper that have your design your demands maybe and some drawings and, and circulating that you know um, there's there's so much uh beauty and interest i think in that and it's often overlooked but i think i think that's changing too and I, um i think there's a way we which we can think about a lot of these practices as as a form of art as a, a community finding expression um in these specific visual cultural traditions right and um at the same time building, trying to build a new world from it and maybe new possibilities for for art. So yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah, it had to be, and thank you. It was like seeing people alive and truly alive on a higher level and words ain't going to do it justice, even though I'm trying to do it, but to, to see that and being like that, those are human beings who, gosh, darn it. They're under stress. They're having fun at least they're having their say and being like, you're not going to pull this shit on me without a fight.
0: (laughs) That's right. Oh, some of my favorite moments organizing here in Vermont, uh, you know, we love to make art here in Vermont. And I have to give special shout out to Vermont Workers Center and Migrant Justice. Whenever they're having a rally, there's usually an art build night and the community just comes alive. It's not everybody who participates. You know, a lot of people are shy about it. But a good group of people will show up and, you know, we'll put on some tunes and we get really into either helping out with the collective banner or making our own, thinking of fun phrases, images, what have you. Uh, You know, we've had beautiful uh, banners of historical leaders and uh, mariposas and all kinds of amazing uh, creations come out of those builds. And... I you know. I see them as a as a form of art for sure, and um, it's. I want to see more of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like like thinking, "Hey, want to have some fun with this type of stuff?" Um, gonna ask you. Gonna ask you a, a little bit of a curveball here. A different um, uh, question, uh, going back to the beginning or your development as a person, as an artist, as a worker, uh, Liz. Who or what made you who you are?
0: Oh, (laughs) what a question. Uh, Well, goodness, my material conditions, don't you know? (laughs) Uh, So, hey, you know, I grew up, speaking of those, you know, I think um, where I grew up um, and so many factors. are. So I grew up in a a Rust Belt town in central New York. In a low, middle class, working class—you know, however you want to define it—household, as uh, as essentially as an only child, and I think that probably had a big role to play. Um, you know, even if I want to romanticize, you know, something a different story, but you know, figuring out communicate—I didn't have like as many siblings to communicate with or anything like that, so it was really uh, talk- art was a way to communicate. Um. To others, uh, sometimes to myself. And I think um, that had a huge role to play. And I think also, you know, I think a lot of movement people um, are drawn to art because art is a really uh, powerful way of trying to understand the totality of your experience. So I I grew up in this Rustvale town and I, I, you know, I saw a lot of people struggling in my hometown, some people doing well. And I just didn't, you know, I was struggling really to understand why, and I wasn't finding the answers in my social studies class per se. I wasn't study, finding answers in history necessarily, as we know, there are our history, labor history, people's history, very, very sparsely addressed. And, um, you know, I so I felt like, okay, well, what if I just try to figure that out by getting something, some ideas of what I'm thinking, what I'm seeing, and trying to relate. these elements on on just a canvas or a piece of paper or what have you and trying to understand myself in the world. And I think it just, it just really comes from this burning why uh, and desire to understand. And I think the why is probably the biggest influence of of why I'm an artist. And that why was just, you know, hanging over my head every day. I, I went outside and I saw our downtown at more vacant blocks, you know, more, uh people you know who I you know weren't getting their needs met and yet working really really hard every day
1: yeah and i i think sometimes when you're younger like those questions come up. It's almost like artistically or like the philosophical questions that come up, right? I mean, I, I asked the question, are well, you an artist when you're born? Well, you're a philosopher when you're born, right? Because when you're a little kid, you'll be like, why is that? You might see like, why does that person have to live on the street and other people don't have, I mean, a kid might ask that, you'd be like, be quiet. That's uncomfortable, <laughs> right? But, um, you know, I grew up in Pawtucket, Rhode Island and is the birthplace of the industrial Revolution in the United States with plans stolen from the British—a typical American story, right? <laughs> and um, same type of thing, you know. Uh, down, down economy. You had the big employer Hasbro there, the toy manufacturer. All you have there is the corporate offices, and things are being manufactured. Same old story, you know. Um, Rust Belt, Central New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio. Um, and I think the experience of growing up in that without like, you know, overt working class consciousness is confusion, is confusion. Yes. Of like, why is this? Why did this happen? Why is mom and dad having to work, you know, as much as, as they are? And, um, uh, in and, 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 I, it, it's such a big impact for me where I was born was such a huge impact on the who and the what, because. I felt like I was just like had a certain propensity towards this thrust in it. And then I'd be like, what's up with this system here, you know, and um, and the impacts on people that that Mm. that 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 you would see. Um, Mm. So uh, some similar obvious uh, similarities there. And very similar. And, and well, that path. explains
0: you too, then, right?
1: <laughs> well, it does. And, you know, for me, what explains me—I mean, it's tough to explain—but that explains me. And getting to the university, if, if you know, being the first kid, you know, in family, and going to university, and having somebody say, "Hey, do you ever hear of this one?" and being like, oh, What is that?" and then I ran from there. Um, Same. And, yeah, just needed the opportunity, right? To uh, right to to have some give me the book to tell me what's going on. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and uh, if it's the economic and philosophic manuscripts of 1844, then so, you know, so, so, so be it. Um, Liz, a <laughs> uh, super big question. We're leading up to it. Why is there something rather than nothing?
0: <sighs> what a big question. I, I, I feel like um, we need to have uh Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, on here to talk about that, but um, yeah, you know, I, well, oh my gosh. Well, you know, I think they're in a dialectical relationship and you know, the nothingness is always creeping up to destroy the something and against, against the force of entropy, the nothing, right? We, we strive to build something because something is life and something is everything that we know on this pale blue dot, as Carl Sagan once said, and that's all we have. And we, you know, it's precious to us and without it, we are nothing. And our drive to live and be in the world is a drive for something. Uh, I don't think we could exist without us striving for something. There's, oh, there's something that drives us a will to live Whether that be justice, love, beauty, uh, unfortunately some more less virtuous uh, values, right as well, Um, accumulation, uh, wealth, um, things like that, and you know that's why we something is driving us so we are nothing, and the nothing doesn't take over. Kind of like reminds me actually this just spontaneous I people probably think I'm silly but um, it, it makes me almost think about the wolf and the never-ending story and you know he represents the nothing that yeah, is a, yeah. you know threatens to destroy the world and everything and you know, yeah. that's that's what it is and a really simple and- Way of uh, one of my favorite childhood
1: uh, movies. <laughs> uh, damn, damn, Liz! You went from the dialectical to the never-ending story. So <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, that's that's you know, you're, you're good. Your creativity is good. That's fantastic. I love it. Um, <laughs> Uh, So uh, we talked about your uh, multiple roles and all the guests that I talked to. I like um, you being an activist and and engaged with the world. Um, I always invite the guests to let the listeners know of like where to find you or where to to find your podcast or the work of creative people that you enjoy or working concerns or whatever the case might be. So what, what, what can people do if they want to learn from you or interact or anything like that?
0: Thank you, yes, uh, I'm so bad at promoting myself, so I'm so glad you asked. Um, I am trying to be on present on social media, at least on Twitter. You can find me at Liz, M-E-D-I-N-A-R-T. It's kind of like a smushing of Medina and art, so um, L-I-Z-M-E-D-I-N-A-R-T um, is my Twitter handle. And, um, on mass podcast is my podcast Twitter handle. I don't post on there as much, but I'm, I really am trying, um, to do more. And I, um, I'm excited to say, uh, I am working on my second season of on mass. I have two on, on, on the stove, on the burners, and we'll figure out which one comes up first, uh, and bears fruit first. Um, uh, one was, uh, uh, is revolves around Lordstown and some uh, oral histories I found there, and the other concerns are United Slate, actually, of the Vermont State Labor Council, and um, all the exciting adventures we've been on together, including uh, you know uh, our general strike vote that uh, stirred the national for some time. So, um, and just talking more broadly about labor federations is, uh, and why we need them, what they have done, how can we coordinate uh, as a labor movement today. Um, so stay tuned for all that. Yeah. Um, follow me on Twitter. Also, mass Podcast has a website, masspodcast.com, and I occasionally try to post updates on there.
1: Great. I really appreciate that. And I tell you, I want to just just mention too, Liz, I mean, I think it is kind of, you know, on this podcast, I, I've had, you know, the ability to, to, to talk to a lot of folks. And I think it's kind of a special thing to, to note where, uh, you know, uh, as a as a sister in the labor movement, we belong to the same labor union. Geographically, come from the same uh, you know type of place and some similar experience. I just want to recognize that it's pretty darn special for that to to to, to happen on a podcast. And um, um, you know, I, I I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate work because I know you know it's, when people work in the field, you kind of you know how it is, right? Like you know. <laughs> You know, like, you know how it is and you don't know exactly, but I kind of know how it is. So, um, I really appreciate, um, I really appreciate your work, uh, that that's inspiring and you know, for art too, for art's sake and thinking about ways, uh, for working class people to know, recognize that they're artists to post that painting or uh blog that they didn't want to, because... They know they're an artist, or they've had some mm. encouragement that they are, and lo and behold, then you get more art artwork. So um, I appreciate everything you do to kind of help that engine, help that engine move.
0: Thank you. This I, this was very uh, a very special treat for me too. Um, it's such an honor. It, you know how it is. It, it is a special to be able to connect in this way as not only uh, people interested in art and in practicing art, but also as as labor activists and Appreciate it when you're a labor activist, uh, uh, as any kind of person in the movement, time is very precious. So um, we, we know how consuming that can be. So thank you again for having
1: me. Yeah. And uh, we've been speaking with Liz Medina. And uh, again, thank you so much and hope to uh, chat, chat in the future about the, the development of the work that we're involved in. And uh, thank you so much for your time, Liz. Have a great evening. Thank you, you too.
0: This is something rather than nothing.